That was good. Good morning and welcome to Love Babs, Love Talk on WNHH-FM, New Haven's home for community radio. You are usually listening at this time of the day to Babs Rolls Ivy, the inimitable host of Love Babs, Love Talk. She's off at a writing workshop week, loving nature, getting spiritually recharged, and I'm Paul Bass, sitting in to keep the news flowing and the tunes going. Our guest this morning, to kick off the morning, is someone who is... Uh, Always making headlines in New Haven. She's making them more later this morning after she talks to us. U.S. Representative Rosa DeLauro. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Rosa. It's so nice oh, to see you. Wonderful to see you, my friend. It's great to see you. Great music. Do you know who that is? That's a local band, the Afro-Semitic Experience. David huh. Chevin. They've been around 20 years where they do black spiritual gospels and Jewish liturgical music updated with jazz. And they go all oh around. Oh, my God. The They're so <laughs> good. Great. <laughs> great to know, dance to yeah yeah and actually you're a tap dancer i remember that i love it that's yeah. right oh. <laughs> well on a more serious note yesterday was on national equity pay day and uh rosa deloro's quote yesterday was women should not have to wait until well into the new year for their earnings to catch up to the earnings of men from the previous year equal pay day should be december 31st not well into march and to that end Rosa and uh, U.S. Senator Patty Murray have reintroduced a bill called the Paycheck Fairness Act, which aims to get rid of pay discrimination. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that bill does, Rosa, and why you're introducing it? Sure. I, for, first of all, thanks very much. This is such a, a, a very, very serious economic issue um, of, for, for women across the, uh, across the country. And and particularly when I talk about single women, this is women who are <clears throat> single, widowed, divorced, or separated. They are the least secure economically, um, uh, the least secure demographic economically in the country. And uh, across the country, uh, women and those even who work part-time, part of the year, are paid 77 cents uh, for every dollar paid to a man. Uh, that's a gap of almost $12,000. Uh, a year. So what, what the Paycheck Fairness Bill does uh, is protects against a retaliation for discussing salaries with co-workers. Um, it prohibits employers from screening job applicants based on their salary history or requiring a salary history during the interview or hiring process. Um, and it, 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 it uh, uh, provides employees uh, who file a sex-based wage um, uh, uh, discrimination claim under the Equal Pay Act. It's the same remedies as are available to employees uh, who file uh, race or ethnicity based on wage discrimination. And they can participate in class action suits that challenge systemic pay discrimination. Um, uh, so it, it really is, is about recognizing a very, very simple premise. Men and women in the same job deserve the same pay. And we're looking at legislation um, that would um, uh, uh, just state that in federal law. I'm trying to remember, Rosa, back in the 70s when we started hearing more about this issue. There used to be buttons people put with what the cents on the dollar were. Do you happen to remember it's 70 cents now on the dollar that women compared to men earning the same right. job? Do you remember what it was? It was in the 60s back then? Yeah, I, it may have even gone 64. to uh, 
you know, maybe even a little bit less than that. I don't remember the exact number. But when you talk about the 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 amount of time it takes uh, for, uh, for for women to, uh, to to make what a man is making, and it goes until March. Uh, for women of color, that is in even a longer period of time because the statistics about, um, uh, you know, women, women of color is, is just unbelievable. You know, it's uh, white women, it's 77 cents for every dollar that's paid to a man. Black women, 64 cents. Latinas, 54 cents. Native American women, 51 cents. Asian Pacific Islander women, uh, 80 cents. So, uh, uh, we have moved, yes, but th that's the pay gap still exists, Paul, and that's something that we have to really address and make sure it no longer exists. I don't celebrate. Uh, I don't think we should celebrate, you, you know, the equal pay day. We need to get rid of it, you know, and, and, and just make sure that uh, men and women in the same job des deserve the same pay. Rosa, why is it that women get paid less for the same work? Well, you, you know, I, I think it's... Um, it's as much cultural as anything else. You know, there's a sense that um, uh, somehow women's work is less respected. Uh, it's less recognized as value um, uh, in, in, in our country. And it is uh, long past due that this mindset, you know, changes. Now, when I talk about 77 cents on the dollar, there are only two professions where this is not the military pays men wow. and women the same, except wow. for combat pay. You, you know, if you're in combat, your pay goes up. The other thing is you, the U.S. Congress. Men and women in the Congress are paid mm. the same amount of money. You know, no matter where you come from, no matter what your skill set is, no matter what your philosophies are. So why isn't it true for uh, uh, university women who are university professors, uh, for women who are journalists, for museum directors, the whole nine yards. It's, it's it's cultural that somehow women's work is not as important or valued as the work that men do, which is nonsense. I know. And I was thinking so culturally, obviously, from childhood, right? These cultural values get imbued from childhood where men are encouraged to speak up more. Is that correct? And that's true. And women are, and they're considered more important what they do. Right. But the other thing is what, what's about the... Uh, of the um, paycheck fairness bill is there is a a uh, there is a, a negotiation a, a, there's built in the the honing of negotiation skills for women and for girls and negotiating their salaries you know and and uh, and, and in fact because of low pay for women one of the things that we get rid of here is that the 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 requirement that you have to talk about your salary history, you know, and, and you know, that has put, you know, women in real jeopardy when it comes to what their future salary will be. The most incredible thing is about this because your, your, your social security retirement is based on your salary history. So women who make less, then you're looking at less in terms of social security and retirement income. And today you will find that one of the highest demo, demographics of of, of, of groups of poverty, it's older women. Why, why is it different in the military and in Congress? I mean, Congress doesn't have a history of an enlightened gender place. Well, you know, I, 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 I sense, and I've said this before, because I've got so many of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who don't wanna, um, you know, support uh, the Paycheck Fairness Act. So over the years, we've passed this four times in the House, and wow. we passed it with, with, with with Republican support. We have not been able to pass it in the Senate. 
Um, so what's the holdup in the Senate? Well, again, it is this view that this is not a legitimate issue. Mm-hmm. That, uh, 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 you know, they give you all kinds of reasons that women take time off to have children and that we, they're not sure that they're going to stay. And um, uh, that it goes back to the er- earlier view that men were the breadwinners. Well, my God, society has changed. The workforce has changed. No, men and uh, women when you talk about the workplace, yeah. So. When you talked about negotiation, it flashed back my mind a bunch of years ago when I was. We, we usually hire people who are from New Haven, but there were two right. examples where a man and a woman who had left New Haven were coming back, and they were in the same stages in their career. And one of them, you know, I would say, what, "What kind of salary are you looking for?" And she said, "Well, what, what are you paying?" And I named the numbers. She said, "Okay." And I said, "No, you're supposed to start and say, then name a larger <laughs> number, and then I go, we go in the middle." And the male just immediately asked for ten thousand dollars more. Yeah, right. No, it, it, it's it's a fact. You know, it, it's this reticence to stand your ground. You know, and under it's it's about understanding your own worth and mm-hmm. value, valuing your own worth. You and we're talking to Rosa Deloro, the congresswoman from the third U.S. congressional district, who has reintroduced the Patty Murray of Washington, the equal the Paycheck Fairness Act, to try to close the gap. From, uh, that women earn on average compared to men for the same jobs. Do you have any good stories to stick out in your mind of somebody either you know who's in the public eye or someone you know who has struggled with this? Oh well, you know, I I, I can recall when, when we've done so many events around this issue that this woman came to testify, and she and her husband were working in the same uh, organization, same skill sets. They were you know, high tech people, computer people, et cetera. And she did not know that she was being paid less than he was. And she only knew it because in the the mail, the information came, she saw, you you know, the mail that he received about what his salary was. And then she saw her salary and she said, we were in the same jobs. Why? (laughs) You know, it's it's a a real life, real life case. And, and for me, the, the, a critical piece here is a, is a woman who I believe is iconic, and that's Lily Ledbetter, who after 24 years working at Goodyear, uh, as she was leaving, she was tipped off that she was being pe- paid less than the, 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 her male colleague next to her for the very, very same job. And Willie, uh, Lily had the courage to take it to the Supreme Court, uh, where she won her case, uh, but uh, then they determined that... Uh, 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 they they rolled back what she was. She, she had she got nothing from the the uh, the, the uh, decision that she was discriminated right. against for all those years. The court ruled that um, she didn't file the claim um, uh, after a, a certain number of years or a certain period okay. of time. Well, she had no idea. That's where we we won in the Congress. We did the Fair Pay Act. We won that. But that just left things as they are. You, you know, and that you you, you could claim this uh, 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 discrimination at any stage. It's you know, when you find out about it that you're being discriminated against on your wages. Uh, Rosie, so you, spoke, you spoke about the attitude stemming from the idea of the male is the breadwinner. You grew up in a household where both the mother and the father worked. That's right. And that was back in the uh, 50s, correct? 40s. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, my mom worked. You know, as I, as you know, she worked in the old sweatshops. And there again, in, in, in that jurisdiction, you know, 
these women were paid less than than the men who worked there. You know, they, they men were cutters or so so forth. But they, you know, the the work that the women did and being paid less for it was just outrageous. Do you remember that as a kid? Was that spoken about? Uh, I I I know that you know my mom was a garment worker and you know she she you know was a, 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 a the garment workers union. So in that in that instance, you know the. Uh, workers' rights and workers' protection, particularly there was workplace safety and that, you know, so I don't recall all of it, but I do know that um, uh, you know, she would later talk to me about how women were underpaid. In you the know, when, I, when I think about how women are paid less now, I'm also thinking about the impact of the pandemic. So a lot of women were working in, in, in frontline jobs, but more women than men, if I'm not mistaken, did drop out of the workforce during the pandemic for whatever reasons, because of the nature of their jobs or the kids they're taking care of. And now they're re-entering the workforce, as I understand it, yeah. in larger numbers now because they were out more. They're re-entering the workforce at a time when the Federal Reserve Bank is trying to act as much as it can to stop wages from rising because they believe that part of what's fueling inflation. Do I have that right? And is that like a double whammy for women's wages? Well, it's a double whammy. And first of all, to say that women didn't, uh, opt out of the workforce during the pandemic. They were pushed out of the workforce. And in addition to that, one of the biggest reasons was childcare right. um, and not the accessibility of childcare. But now they are entering the workforce now with greater growth. And it's more about single women. But the, the, still, the pay is 77 cents. And that's what has to, that's what has to change. I just and, mean, in addition to what you're doing with the bill, I'm wondering if the impact of Federal Reserve de- Yes. Decision is also going to hurt women when they're coming back because there has been this rise in wages. And, you know, Robert Rice has been writing about how they think that we have this conventional wisdom now that it's bad when labor costs rise because they fuel inflation. And he argued it had more to do with deficits rising from that taxing corporations and high earners enough. Do you have any right. thoughts on that? And if this factors into this issue? Well, I think it does factor into into the situation because there's a view that you can, you know, hold back on wage increases and and then. Uh, uh, as it is historic, that women are at that, you know, that lower end of the scale where they don't feel that they have to pay, you, you know, women is what they are paying men, you know, for the for, for the same job. So it absolutely plays into, you know, what 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 the, uh, uh, you know, what happens. Uh, the fact is that now, though, I think that there's greater uh, understanding that we have to close this wage gap. First of all, with regard to wages, one of the biggest problems that have been facing uh, uh, workers is that their wages have not risen. As you, much you over know, the years. Yeah. With, uh, with, and, and that's men and women. We've not seen wages uh, increase. And that's one of the biggest problems uh, uh, that we have today. Uh, and that's where it, it's more than a pay gap. It really is income inequality. And you're really that, talking about over the, over the whole generation that wages right. have risen less than, than inflation. During mm-hmm. the pandemic, they did rise, which I think people like you and me cheered that that right. was one positive aspect, and that was seen as a negative right. by Federal Reserve and, and our policy and others, because right. they yeah. believe that that's one driver of inflation. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think about how do we monitor GDP, you know, uh, gross domestic product, how we factor in whether it's a good thing that wages are up. But, mm-hmm. but another question I had for you was prospects of passage. So is this, you said this is the fourth time you've introduced the bill? We passed, no, I, I, yes, we passed and we passed it, it four times. times in the House. 
uh, where it's run into difficulties in the Senate. We came very close several years ago when we were uh, two votes shy, and uh, but for that, uh, and there were, you know, two women members of the Senate who voted no, and uh, that would be the law of the land. So in any case, um, uh, it's going to be harder to do with, uh, uh, though, uh, you know, we now have, oh my God, well over, uh, you know, close to the 218 uh, votes that you need to pass a bill, but we need to have several Republicans cross the aisle and, and be able to do this. And that, not sure that that's going to happen, but you, we're going to continue at it though. Well, Rosa, we t- this seems to be the theme at the end of every interview we do, which is that these big issues aren't always one-year fights. They're not one-offs. They're not one-shots. You, you keep raising an issue, raising a bill year after year, and sometimes you might go backwards for one year and then take two steps forward the next. We talked about it with the earned income tax credit. We talked about it with gun control measures. Do you see this, too, as something that happens over a long time if people who are leading the charge on it just continue to do the, the groundwork. The other example for me is the child tax credit. It's now almost 20 years and it, 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 it's part of the president's budget this go around, but it's going to be very difficult, you know, to, to, to get, to get passage, but you, you know, you do, you have to continue working at it and you have to continue to um, uh, bring it up. And, you know, the environment changes. It's a different environment, you know, today than there was, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And, and different people serve in the uh, in, in 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 the Congress, and I, I will tell you that. But we need to think about um, the paycheck fairness and equal pay for equal work. Uh, it, it's uh, it, as as part of a um, what I call a new social safety net, which includes paid sick days, paid family and medical leave, uh, uh, the uh, child care bringing the cost of childcare down, paying, talk about wages, and it's mostly women uh, driven is that childcare workers are, are are paid nothing. It's a pittance, you know. It's been a subject of rallies here, as you know, in New Haven and more from the state on that one. Exactly, you know, and you got wage theft prevention and the child tax credit. You know, this is, you know, my view of, you know, what is a new social safety net that we have to be uh, advocating and we have to continue to do it. You can't stop and you can't get tired. Well, you've never stopped. Well, and I know it's a little tougher this year than when it was you guys were in the majority just a few months ago and you were the head of the appropriations yeah. committee. Maybe that'll come back in two years. You're here, two years. I, I promise to let you go. You're busy today. You're in town. You're going to do something in neighborhood housing services, the money you got for affordable housing. You're meeting with all the mayors in the area to talk I about am. the Biden budget. And tomorrow you got a live interview on my favorite news outlet for political and government news in the country, Punchbowl. Uh-huh, that's right. And that'll be interesting. And the whole country will be hearing from Rosa DeLauro tomorrow, all the people who follow politics up close. So Rosa DeLauro, uh, representative of U.S. 3rd Congressional District since 1990. Right. A real honor to interview you every time, and thanks for making time for WNHHF this morning. It's wonderful to be with you. Take care, and best to your family as well, Paul. Thank you, Rosa. Bye. Bye-bye. And you're listening to Love Babs, Love Talk on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. Tee up some music for us here. Babs Rolls Ivy is on vacation. She's at a writing workshop. Uh, she's getting some inspiration, she says. She's been posting pictures about how great the nature is. Uh, 
when she comes back, I think she's going to be revved up. We're going to do some local headlines and some national headlines. Just trying to uh, find us the Grits King song. There we go. That's Grits King. He's a local jazz musician who I think's done a really good job. And his new album is called um, Saving Time. And that's him playing in the background there with Saving Time. I thought I'd catch you up on some of the local and national headlines this morning. In New Haven, there's a showdown today on affordable housing coming up. There's a tent city. Homeless people have been living by the boulevard in the West River. It's been the subject of much debate in town because the city has struggled with this. They don't want to look like they're evicting people from land who say they have no place else to go and erecting tents. But they're worried about public safety. You know, people have these tents and they cook in them. You can have fires. It's public land. They're definitely public health concerns with people who excuse me are public concerns of people who, who camp out there and whether they're going to get hurt those are soccer fields because the public use them we had that issue with occupy new haven a decade ago on the green which started out as a protest against income inequality and became a serious public health hazard and ruining a public park and not letting the vast majority of the public use it and on the other hand of course the hearts go out the people have no place to live and it's a complicated combination of factors that leads people to this tent city. Some people want to live outside. Some people can't afford an apartment. A lot of people who are homeless, not all people, a lot of people are, are wrestling with drug abuse. There's a lot of uh, and mental health problems. And again, there's a little bit of a chicken the egg there, right? There's a tough economy when people can't afford a home. Do they have other kinds of problems that develop as a result? And do those problems fuel the loss of lack of a home? We have lots of programs in New Haven. There are shelters. Some people like to go to shelters. You heard yesterday morning with Nora Grace Flood was interviewing one of the 10 city people who's married. And she doesn't want to go to shelter because she wants to be with her husband. The other people said, I don't like the rules of the shelter. You got to be there a certain time, not do certain things. Be with, you know, it's not a lot of privacy either. We have uh, some great programs like on um, State Street where you, where you have housing first programs for veterans and others who have substance abuse and you can still get in. You don't have to be clean to get in. It's the idea is you get the housing first so that you can deal with other challenges like getting um, help with with mental health, with uh, job training, jo- jobs. I think when we look at this issue, it's upsetting and there'll be a showdown today because the city is closing it down. They say it's a health hazard, public health hazard. It is public property. The city's liable for that. We've seen places, other cities in the country where people have died and the cities are on the hook and morally responsible for death when they don't enforce codes. And on the other hand, you have people said, look, we did what you told us. They claimed that clean up the place. We want to live here. We need a place. We're outdoors and not bothering anyone. So at one o'clock, Norgrace Flood will be there for the independent. There'll be other media there. People leave. I've been present at some smaller encampments, one in particular where they had people leave. And I remember they had spent days at the city working with each one there, trying to convince people to go get help, go to some other place where they could bring them to, to live, to get counseling, to get shelter. I think everybody cares around here. I don't think it's cold hearted. I don't think there are villains on either side. And I don't have magic answers for the affordable housing crisis. I think we're working on it. And obviously a lot of the decisions occur at levels beyond those we control. But it's going to be not a happy day when this showdown comes today. And I don't think it's a reason for finger pointing. 
That's one thing happening today. The other one was last night they made a new assistant chief of police. We have three now, Manit Cologne. And people are making a big deal about this one because it kind of is a big deal. First of all, it's the first woman back in high rank. They want to get more women in policing. 17% of the New Haven police force is female. The chief, Carl Jacobson, said he hoped that in naming Manit Cologne, he named her because she was qualified, has done so much in the department, but he's also hoping to inspire more women to apply to become cops. Manit herself, she hails from India. She speaks Punjabi. She's a Sikh. And she said she hopes that inspires people from her background and similar backgrounds to also consider being police officers to be part of the system in America rather than just being dealt with by the system. I remember being at one case where she was in an apartment on the um, East Shore where I think it's Punjabi. A Sikh, I'm not sure. Someone spoke Punjabi. His family a guy was shot who runs a convenience store. And Manit was the one in the room who could... She has a good manner, too, so it's not just that she speaks a language. She's, she cares about people, and I remember she was doing a lot to work with that family that day and keep people okay. Um, she's also got, like, good experience. She started working a beat in the cop in the hill. Well, the Haven officer started walking beat. She knows patrol well. She's been in charge of several neighborhood districts of policing. She oversaw the... Uh, and by the way, that was Grits King doing Saving Time. As we're here on WNHH-FM talking about the local headlines. So she ran the uh, Westville Policing District for a while. She ran Dixwell and mostly uh, New Hallville and East Rock, which for some reason is one district. She's also been a detective for many years. She was in robbery and burglary. She ran that unit. She was one of the first women to do that. She also did special crimes, and that's kind of a euphemism for when kids get raped, the saddest cases, um, and other kinds of domestic violence, family violence, and she did a lot of work on that, and I've seen her with kids. She's very good with kids, and uh, she's also run internal affairs, so she's known about fairly hearing the public's complaints, taking those complaints seriously, being fair to cops as well, focusing on the evidence, focusing on the rules, not making it personal. And she's respected. She, people feel she's done a good job on that. We are talking yesterday with Mike Lawler, who's on the police commission and once a professor, once University of Haven, said, been very impressed. We heard from Samuel Ross Lee, who ran the civilian reward, say the same thing. So I think this one's a win for New Haven folks. And I think we got a really good newish team running the police department after a pretty sad chapter in the department, going back toward our old 70s and 80s style of beat-down policing. And I think we're going in the right, right direction. One of my favorite news stories you can read this morning, Independent by Maya McFadden, has to do with a watch party that took place Monday night. Some people want to have watch parties for the Oscars, for the Super Bowl. In New Haven, they had a watch party for the Board of Education meeting. And I say, why don't people just go to the Board of Education meeting in person? Because people wanted to be together at a watch party in person to talk about education. Because for some reason, and we're not sure the real reason, for three years now since the pandemic started, the Board of Ed has been meeting only remotely. And that made a lot of sense at first. But then the schools came back in person. Other boards and commissions came back in person. And we learned in the pandemic there are tools at hand so that if you have an in-person meeting, you could also put it on Zoom for people to watch at home. But they've kept the Board of Ed meetings online only 
Now, people are wondering why, because they say one of the most important parts of civic life and making decisions as a community is to see each other, to deal with business and watch people up close and ask them questions, but also talk to each other and talk to them when the official part is over. Seeing each other, hearing each other. Well, at first they gave this explanation to the Board of Ed for why the meetings were going to stay remote when the rest of the world was going back in person. They said, well, we have more democracy now because more people are attending, quote unquote, because they're signing up to watch it online. So basically they're watching TV instead of doing the non-spectator sport of democracy. But even if that were true, it's not either or, obviously, right? Because they're already bored all of them been doing this forever, right? You can still have all those people who'd rather watch it at home, watch it at home. But if you're in person, you could do it both ways and still have a democracy where people can trust more and see more of the people making decisions for 20,000 public school students. So then it became obvious that they're hiding something. And again, if they're hiding something about this, which is not the most important issue, then it's hard to not believe they're hiding information that's important about why kids aren't reading or why they're having budget pressures, what they're going to do with it, or how they're going to pick the next superintendent of schools. So that they, there were statements made that someone maybe had a health challenge, couldn't make it in person, and questions about whether certain people were living in New Haven while being on the board of the education, make decisions about the school where they're supposed to be living. They've been a little shady about that. They haven't come clean about who, what, where, and why if somebody physically can't make it a meeting, they can't be remote while the rest are there. So Monday night, the Federation of Teachers, which feels strongly about being in person and having a democratic process and accountability and decision-making in New Haven. They held a watch party at the headquarters and they had a great turnout. Dozens of people showed up. Darnell Goldson's a member of the Board of Ed. He believes they should be in person. So he came in person to the watch party while remotely participating in the actual Board of Ed meeting that everybody was watching alongside him at the Federation of Teachers. A little bit of Woody Allen scene there, which uh, Darnell Goldson's funny for injecting a little humor and irony into our public discussion. And the point was, if you read the article, you'll see it. The teachers and other people in public who came were talking about the schools. They were watching decisions being made. They are talking about what they could do about it. They could decide if they wanted to collaborate or at least know what each other is up to. And uh, credit goes to the Federated Teachers in a fun way. Exposing again the anti-democratic unaccountability unaccountable and bizarrely dishonest approach our Board of Education is taking to how they meet and where. And that's, you've been listening to Grits King, Saving Time, WNHHFM, and I'm Paul as I'm filling in today for Babs Rawls Ivy, who's usually here at Love Babs Love Talk every morning. She's our star host. She spent the week at a writing workshop, getting inspiration from words, from other writers, and from nature. That's what I've been getting from her social media and texts. So uh, there's other, other news happening today. We found out that they have new figures on how much of the property is tax-exempt in New Haven. 
How, how, many, how many other? So that's always the big issue in New Haven, right? Because we have big nonprofits. Yale's the biggest, but it's not just Yale, but of course Yale's the biggest property owner. And because we have so much tax-exempt property, we can't tax it. So the rest of us who either own or rent houses, have businesses pay the gap, which has always made our taxes higher than people in wealthier communities. We get more money now reimbursed from the state for those tax exemptions, but it's still a big deal. Well, the headline in The Independent was that 55.53% of our real estate is tax exempt. Well, that's a lot. You know, I don't know if you see anybody else that much in Connecticut, at least in the larger cities. But actually, I think it's, to me, I said, oh, it's not as much as it was. Because two years ago, we were 60%. And that had been growing, growing, growing up to 60%. When we heard that, that was head shaker. Then we, reass- we reassessed our property. And we discovered that so much, that still there was a growth in how much nonprofit owned property, tax and property there is in town. But there was more growth in tax, taxable property. We've been having this building boom, market rate apartments for the most part, some offices too, Tech Towers, 100 College, 101 College. There's going to be another one now in the 10th Square, as they call it, at the old Coliseum site. And I'm hearing rumors there'll be yet another one right by those two College Street Towers, the old College Plaza. And the housing, as you know, is all over the place, especially downtown, Worcester Square, East Rock, but all over the place, Dixwell. And it's continuing. So that's a good thing, right? Theoretically. Because theoretically, the more property we have that we can tax, the more money we have for our schools, for our police, or to make taxes not so high on everybody else. The problem always is Problem always lies in trying to convert that new taxable property into actual tax revenue to actually have us benefit from the growth in our city rather than have the investors from out of town who are benefiting by making profits on their investments. That's why they're investing here in the first place to get in these high rents, $3,000 for a park for a month. But then theoretically, <clears throat> we promote this stuff because. It grows our grand list, as we see, and then we get more taxes. The problem is that we discovered this new number showing 55% around the 60% of tax, uh, of nonprofit tax exempt property by doing a reassessment of all our property. But then when we came time to change the taxes, we gave a break. Originally, it was going to be five years. City Hall wanted and the Alders after an expose by Tom Breen showing who's benefiting, made it two years. But still, we were waiting another two years to get the benefits of more taxes from all that property. So we were basically sending a lot of money in the form of non-charged taxes to people who own luxury apartment buildings and are from out of state, and people who are buying up poverty housing, getting Section 8 rents, federal subsidized rents, to make big profits and send them out of state. On top of that, while we saw that the value grew, it could have grown a lot more if we used a different method for deciding what buildings are worth. When we decide what a house is worth, we use a pretty obvious way of looking at that in New Haven. What are houses selling for? If you have a house across the street from the same kind of house, that house sold for $200,000, then your house is basically $200,000 looking at other factors like, is it basically the same kind of house? That seems like common sense, right? Something's worth what people pay for it. 
So if properties are going up, values are going up in your neighborhood, you're going to be taxable for your house. I don't feel sorry for you that because if you want to sell your house, you can make more money. If you want to borrow money, you can. But we use a different method for commercial buildings. This is complicated method. It takes all those factors. The state says you got to look at other factors, but we make a decision how to balance those factors. And we do some income approach of how much you can expect every year and speculative approaches that aren't based on what people are actually paying for these buildings. So guess what? When it comes to every single case that we look at, Tom Breen's done a lot of stories in this independent, every single case we look at, we say that these buildings owned by wealthy out-of-state investors are worth a lot less than they actually sell for. I'll just give you two examples of what I'm talking about. You know, 360 State? 360 State, that's the largest apartment tower in New Haven. It sold for $160 million. Right around the same time, the city said it was worth only $115 million. Got that? $160 versus $115. So the city said that property is worth $45 million less than people would actually pay for it. So when we tax them, we're not taxing that $45 million worth of that property's value. It doesn't disappear into thin air. It means the house that you live in, whether you own it or rent it, is going to pay more taxes to pay up that, to make up that gap. Or it means that instead of lowering our high tax rate compared to other towns and cities, it's going to have to stay higher. It's another level on which this contributes to the challenge of how in New Haven we are not harnessing the true benefits of all this growth, of this gold rush, of all these investors coming from our state to make a big quick buck on luxury housing, poverty housing. Not only do we not fully appraise the value of those properties so we could tax them right, not only did we phase in couple of years from having to pay the new tax rate when we looked at what it's worth. But by state law, five years when they build something new, they don't have to pay the full value of those taxes. That one at least makes sense. The idea is that if you have a vacant piece of land or something that's not worth much, someone comes in and spends a lot of money to make it worth more. It takes a while before they can collect the tax revenue on, or the rents on that or whatever they're going to make money on if it's manufacturing. And it's worth it to have it be a little incentive too, so that we get more people to build it up so that over long term, we can get more taxes from them and build up our tax base. But if we never get around after that five years to taxing, that property starts to depreciate. They go to court using comparable sales sometimes, I've seen, or comparable assessments to get their values lowered. So first we wait five, up to five years when someone builds something new in New Haven to make a quick buck. Then, because of decisions we make, we still say it's worth less than it's really worth now to tax them. And then we add a couple of years to when their new value is going to take effect and have the rest of us pay that freight. By that time, it's a question of whether this now seven-year-old or more building is worth what it was when we could have cashed in. I think we lost an opportunity, folks. And uh, we're going to take a, a song break and then come back for more discussion. Kristen Ford and the Blue Jeans. Song about America. 
Came into this world with nothing at all Nothing from my ma and pa The way the poppy feels to grow Like my love of rock and roll I got that blue magic I'm the only one who has it You want that on nothing at all Started from the bottom now I'm here Used to be blurry about my vision now it's clear Run the pipeline from the prison to the school Only here for the gold so you better run the tools How you build the empire when you never had the tools Could have short changed the game but instead I paid dues All I ever did know was that to let that flow And my mama ain't pro just to save my soul So I'm dressed in black ready for attack But you want that light heart when he step back Never been concerned about the shoes on my feet Always had soul cause I grew from the concrete Better step aside when you see me come through Cause I'm the definition of the elder dream come true Just a girl from the third coast with a slight wrong Never take less than cause I gotta have it all Just the strings on my guitar Put my life inside a car Headed to the next step or I don't stress, I got the blue magic I'm the only Black girl, why call that blue magic? They say this wasn't meant to be. Now we got a mild man making history. My goals and dreams were above the clouds. Now I flow on stage when I move the crowd. So just keep calm and we'll overcome. I'm down three one, but I'm out like a run. Yeah, we run against the grain. Yeah, we ride in our own lane. Got them eating out our hands. Run this town, we run this land. Wasn't supposed to get this far. Now we know how. That's Kristen Ford, MC Genesis Blue. Kristen Ford was a, a fixture of the New Haven scene before hitting a little bigger. And they, uh, she does a kind of punk folk thing. And she teamed up with MC Genesis Blue for some really, really great music. I'm going to play one more of their tracks called America. Then we're going to come back with national headlines this morning, including new worries in the stock market. And they ain't trying to shine all the diamonds in the rough I think 
think it's time to take a stand. Enough is enough. Call they bluff. Cause I don't think you really understand. If we come together, we don't have to blame the man. Don't need no 48 acres, just give me the whole land. Diversion is created just to see you from the plan. Goddamn, I'm just trying to spit the knowledge. Take notes. How you sink a ship when you're in the same boat? Try to hit a stroke, but we can't stay afloat. Something's out of order, but they swear it ain't broke. That's a joke. Cause we ain't even got the same rights. And even if I get it, gotta put up a fight. And I ain't really saying that I got the answer key. Cause really all I want is for my people to be free, to be free. The beat of my heart is crying L-O-V-E. Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. The beat of my heart is crying L-O-V-E. Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. America, checking for your post. 49 heartbeats, they profited But none of us were here until they took it from the natives. Then we turned around and had a nerve to be racist. Justify the use of religious discrimination. Had a terror goddess in the palm of their hand. But we can't get together to create a counter plan. Violence, silence, rising riots. Innocent, dying, government lying. Can't get ahead cause we all too consumed. With who I sleep with and where I use the restroom. I'm just trying to tell you that I got the antidote. Campaign for love, let peace win the vote. Feel like giving up, but I still got hope. Respecting every person, that will really be dope. You can send with love all far from the hate. Let's adopt one label for ourselves, human race. Oh, yes, we should pray for Orlando. Like we pray for Sandy Hooks and Bernardino. We'll stop going to the movies and stop going to the club. Kindergartner should be carrying the gun. Stonewall was a riot after prayers were not enough. So won't you stand up? Won't you stand up? America, checking for your pulse. The beat of my heart is crying L-O-B-E. Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. The beat of my heart is crying L-O-B-E. Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. Now what we want, peace. And who is us, we? So just let us be and live in harmony. Now what we want, peace. And who is us, we? So just let us be and live in harmony. Who is us, we? Says the Blue Jays. That's New Haven's familiar Kristen Ford and MC Genesis Blue. As the Blue Jays do in America here on Love Babs Love Talk, WNHH FM, New Haven's home for community radio. This Paul Bass filling in with the great Babs Rawls Ivy, who's off this week doing your morning. So, as we hear from Grits King again in the background, we uh, talked about some national news. There's a number this morning that if you feel, you know, every day we have to freak out about something, right? We have to figure out, and often that's part of a problem modern today. The news cycle with with the algorithms of such news organizations, they have to try to get us to freak out all the time. But sometimes something is going on. We got to figure out whether to freak out or not. 
and it can have real consequences. It can cause other bad things to happen that might have happened if we hadn't freaked out. Now, you might have guessed I'm talking about what's been happening with the banks, right? Friday and Sunday, within two day, three days, two banks failed in America. One was the second biggest bank failure ever in our history, Sovereign Bank in California. I'm sorry, not Sovereign Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, but Sovereign Bank in New York. Now, in each case, it was important, and they did the right thing. You heard it on, on this show on Monday with George Perez, the state bank commissioner. You had Joe Biden going out Monday saying, don't panic. These are isolated cases. Depositors will be made whole, even if they had deposits that were beyond those insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They wanted people not to panic because there wasn't need, reason to panic that thinks banks would need to have a run on them and start failing, unless everybody thought they would. That's how panics start, right? Now, often there are real reasons behind it. The 2008 crash had to do with all these subprime loans that were just generating fees for people writing them, but they really weren't worth anything, so the bill comes due, right? So there are some factors that make always at any time, like now post-pandemic and the war in Ukraine, that make and the high interest rates that challenge the economy. That always happens. We've built learning from past disasters, safeguards in place like the FDIC insurance to try to prevent this. But now people are worried about that panic. So Monday they spent all day saying, don't panic. Meanwhile, on Monday, people were mildly panicked. And what they were focusing on were the regional banks. So the big banks were doing okay, said we're not going to fail. The smallest banks mostly were not failing, but there were some cases where the banks um, might have a particular reason, right? Like Sovereign Bank, which was heavy into crypto exchanges. But they were worried about the medium-sized banks, like in New Haven, regional banks. They're based elsewhere, but they're pretty big, and their big presence is in New Haven. I'm thinking a key bank, right? That was once New Haven Savings Bank. It was a mutual bank. Got bought a whole bunch of times. Now it's owned by the Hell Bank. Key. And if they failed, obviously that'd be a huge deal. So they were one of the three banks nationally that regulators were watching on Monday saying, look at their price plummet. People worried that they had their own problems that were different from Silicon Valley Bank and Southern. And the share price, a quarter of the whole value of Key Corporation, the parent of Key Bank, they lost that quarter of their value on stock trading on Monday. So people were freaked out. Then everyone exhaled on Tuesday because that's that whole cycle that with the algorithms and the organization are they going to make news organizations they're going to make us freak out about everything that happens in the economy so everyone breathed a sigh of relief on tuesday the bank's shares recovered at key they they got i think 14 percent back of their value and everyone says we're not going to have these runs in the banks don't worry about it and you know people like our business who had deposit these places thinking do we need to move them well this morning there's been new panic key bank lost all their value again the number i'm looking at now is as of um as of a few minutes ago Key Bank has lost another 8% of its value, went down, uh, the share went down another dollar, and it lost all that value regained the day before. And why? Because there are the contagions in the financial markets. Credit Suisse, a bank in Europe, which also does a lot of business here, you'll see they do the mortgages and a lot of the sales in New Haven, they lost 20% of their value at the opening. And again, their problems aren't the same as Silicon Valley Bank, not the same as Sovereign Bank. It's not crypto, it's not using a lot of money in startup and, and investing them in the wrong way in U.S. Treasuries that didn't work out well with rising interest rates, right? There are always specific reasons in each case. But now there are concerns about the stability of that bank because of a history of mistakes they made. And all the European banks are having a problem this morning that contains the spending. So what I'm saying is that I agree with regulators like George Perez. I agree with President Biden that overreacting is a mistake. We have a lot of safeguards built into the system. But 
This morning's news makes us reason to be a little nervous about the financial system. We don't want to have a repeat of 2008. History doesn't repeat itself the same ways, right? 2008's crash from subprime mortgages was not the same reason as the 1929 collapse on Wall Street. The reasons are a little different now because of the brew of factors with the rising interest rates in the war in Ukraine and when we have supply uh, chains, but also the uh, decisions by individual banks how to protect their assets. But we're keeping an eye on that. And one of the things that people are, and I'm glad we're not freaking out about, but it's kind of curious, you know how sometimes there's a story that's lower down on the list of, of stories being covered, but your eyes pop out and say, ooh, is that a big deal or not? Did you happen to notice that um, for the first time ever, a, a, a U.S. drone was shot down by a Russian warplane over the Black Sea? I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that can cause a lot of trouble too, looking at history, what kind of incidents, because everyone's been worried about whether the war in Ukraine is going to, Mustache into a bigger conflict, and um, and this is the kind of thing people worry about. And um, it what it was not in Russian airspace, but it's international waters. Russia said they were heading for American airspace in Crimea, which of course is the most sensitive spot there because the Russia took over Crimea, and it's an essential staging point for them if they want to get more territory in Ukraine. So it's not funny about that. What was interesting to me is that of course the U.S. objected. Russia said we didn't do anything wrong. They even did not shoot down the drone at one point. But leaders on both sides are trying to downplay how important it is while not ignoring it. And that's one reason I've been feeling confident about the Biden administration. I think that given the president and his team's experience in foreign policy, they don't want to overreact and make get World War III as the way Biden was cautiously operating in Ukraine while still taking a long strain stand. So that's the news not to panic about today, even though it pushes our panic buttons. We're going to take a little break, uh, listen to a little music. We're going to, I'm Paul Bass filling in for Babs Rolls Ivy on Love Babs, Love Talk. We're going to listen to a little more Kristen Ford, a few other local artists, and we'll be back at the 10 o'clock hour with Mayor Justin Elliker, who's running for a third term. And he's up to a lot these days, everything from neighborhood rec centers to um, a crisis team on the streets to replace police and dealing with people with mental health challenges. We're going to talk about all that and more at 10, so stay tuned to WNHH New Haven's home for community radio at 103.5.